I'm Jeff Murphy from Boston University Alumni Relations, and I'm your host for an interview series showcasing the career paths of our most interesting and accomplished alumni. Welcome to the Proud to Be You podcast. My guest today is Farrell Vernon, the founder and chief operating officer of Written Word Media. His company is dedicated to empowering authors and publishers to reach their audience and helping readers find their next great book. Farrell earned his degree in classical civilizations from CAS in 2003. We talked about his work beyond BU and the ways in which he's built a career combining his love of books and his passion for technology. Well, thanks, Farrell, for being with us today. Um, I always like to start off by just uh, knowing a little bit about, tell me where you grew up. Where where do you say that you're from? And uh, if you could tell me a little bit about how you found yourself in Boston. Yeah, so uh, I grew up uh, outside of D.C. in the suburbs on the Virginia side, a town called Falls Church. It was a great little place to grow up, uh, but very suburban, right? So we drove everywhere. There was a mall. There were house, 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 church, school, that kind of stuff. And so when I started looking at colleges and I sort of was driving around the country or flying around the country with my mom, my dad, we came to BU and I was kind of like, whoa, this is cool. This is different from what I, what I grew up in. Uh, And so I think for me, the, you know, while BU had a lot of the sort of academic things that I was looking for, um, the fact that it was in the heart of this city, Boston was a huge draw for me. It was just, it was so different from what I, what I experienced growing up. Uh, And that's kind of how I found myself kind of found myself there. And so you mentioned you, you majored in classical civilizations, the, you said the history side. Correct. So had you grown up with a, a love of history and, and books and reading? Can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to study that? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's interesting. So I uh, got accepted to BU to do computer engineering. Um, I've always been into technology and uh, I sort of went into uh, the, you know, the intro uh, orientation or whatever. I realized I had to take, you know, chemistry and biology and all these other sort of engineering disciplines. And I didn't want to do that. So I switched to computer science and then I was undecided for a while after I sort of left computer science and I'd always had kind of a mythological love. Like I'd always read those books and I read a lot of science fiction and a lot of fantasy novels. And so classical civilization was something that sort of uh, spoke to me during the period of time when I was kind of undecided, um, which is really, you know, where I spent actually the bulk of my um, BU career as sort of trying to figure out where I was going to land. And so classics was something that kind of spoke to me is something that was familiar and ended up being really useful sort of later on in my life. Uh, but, you know, immediately after graduation, it was uh, maybe not as useful as some other things could have been. So uh, I'm curious, I mean, you've got this love for, for reading and books, and but you mentioned sci-fi and that, you know, that seems like it might be an intersection for also your love of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing where you are now, and, and we'll certainly talk more about how, how you got to, to written word media and, and founding sure. that company, but early on as a kid in high school or, and at BU, uh, it sounds like there probably were some signs that you might end up as a, as a tech entrepreneur. Yeah, there were definitely some signs. I mean, I started my first company when I was 15, uh, I was like mowing lawns. And so I would go around door to door and, you know, ask people if they needed help uh, with their lawn. And, you know, we had like 11 lawns. I had a partner who was a friend of mine. And um, so that I was always kind of a, sort of a hustler in that way. Like I was always just trying, you know, uh, starting businesses, making money, that stuff sort of always made sense to me. And so that was certainly an early sign of that. And, and when I was at school, 
Uh, I used to, <laughs> this is kind of a throwback. Do you remember uh, Winamp, which was one of the early Absolutely. players? I was, uh, was a big Winamp fan when, uh, when music on the internet was the wild, wild west. Exactly. So it was crazy because, you know, I started BO in 99, which is right when Napster was coming out and right when MP3s were really taking over and, and that whole industry was, was changing. And I used to spend a lot of time making my own skins. I, you could actually use Photoshop and you could design a version of this MP3 player that, you know, was yours. And so I spent a lot of time doing that. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, I wish somebody had talked to me and said, Hey, you know, you can do, you don't have to be a complete engineer. You could also do something artistic uh, and engineering. There's, there are ways to combine those two things sort of in the real world instead of just doing it as a hobby. And so I think there were a lot of things like that, that sort of, you know, led me to sort of end up where I ended up. So you mentioned wishing that you had that person in your life that helped you kind of navigate your interests and, and turn that into a career. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you had, you know, t- assigned academic advisors and things like that when you were at the College of Arts and Sciences, but were there professors or other people on campus that really stood out to you as, or, you know, particular classes that you really remember now that had an impact on your, your eventual career? Yeah. So there's definitely one. Um, so I was, you know, as I mentioned, I was doing computer science for about the first year I was at BU and I was taking, I don't remember what the class was, but I was taking one of these sort of secondary level computer science courses, not like the intro course, but whatever came right after that. And I was in a, I was in a classroom. I think there's about 20 to 30 students that would show up, you know, typically for the class. I remember thinking like, this is, this is hard, but I felt like I was getting it right. And so I worked, I worked pretty hard and we did all these projects, did all this stuff. And then towards the end of the semester, we had the exam and I walked in and there, it was in a different classroom. And I thought that was weird. I'm like, why is it a different classroom? So I went to the classroom and there was 200 students in there. And I was, I asked the person sitting next to me, I said, Hey, are you in, you know, are you in this class? And I said, yeah. And I said, well, were you in a different, you know, section or do you have it at a different time? And no, all these students were in my class. They just, uh, they didn't even have to go to class to be passing it. Right. Um, and it was that sort of moment where I was like, maybe computer science is not <laughs> where I'm supposed to be. And I remember that experience very clearly. And it, it actually informed a lot of what I did later in my career. I worked uh, in the music industry building technology and had to hire a lot of people. And that experience was really formative because I was able to understand the difference between, you know, a great engineer and a mediocre engineer is, is cavernous, right? It's huge. And so that experience that I had when I was, you know, whatever, 19 years old, really, um, stayed with me for the entire time. So you have this BU experience where you, you have an opportunity to study some, what I think some people would see as pretty disparate topics that interest yeah. that you have in your life. Uh, you, you graduate, you walk across that stage, you get your diploma and you know, that, that time for so many, you know, recent graduates of the university is, is so pivotal and can be so stressful. Did you feel like you had a bunch of decisions in front of you that you could take on which path that you went on and how did how did that go for you? How did you, how did you make your plan right after graduation? So, yes, yeah, so I think I handled it maybe different than a lot of other students might. I wasn't worried about getting a job. I actually had a job. So I was renting cars. <laughs> I was a car rental agent, you know, at budget rent a car in central square, uh, right between Harvard and MIT. I don't know if it's still there or not, but um, I had this job part-time and that's how I was sort of making money while I was going to school. And so when I graduated, I, um, I just started working there full-time until I figured out what what job I had. So I had less financial stress because 
I was, I was making money. I was good at that. And so that part wasn't worrisome. And I never really worried about what I was going to do. It wasn't so much like, oh my gosh, am I trying to find meaning? I was looking for sort of a job. And, you know, so I think I had a little bit different. And also I graduated in three and a half years. I took some classes during the summer. And so I graduated in December. And so I remember you mentioned sort of walking across the stage. Uh, it was a lot less climactic for me because I, I drove over to the, the university office during my lunch break and just picked up my, <laughs> picked up my diploma, threw it in my car and, and drove home. So I, I didn't walk and do the whole, the sort of the, the ceremony of it, which, you know, maybe was a mistake, but that's what I did. And so then what happened is I actually got a job from, um, at Massachusetts General Hospital at, in a research lab. And what happened is people would come up to rent cars. And I'd been talking to a few uh, friends and, and friends of friends trying to figure out how to get a job. What's a good job to get? And people were like, the hospital system in Boston is amazing. And so uh, this woman walked in to rent a car and I saw that she had an MGH ID in her wallet. And I said, hey, it's a great place. I hear that's a great place to work. Are you looking for anybody to work there? And she said, actually, I am. And I took her name and I sent her my resume and I got that job. And that's how oh, I got it. Incredible. <laughs> um, and so that, you know, that was sort of for me, that was just kind of like that made sense. And uh, a lot of other people were following different tracks, which um, just didn't didn't feel right to me. So the way I got my job is the way I got my job. But um, that's kind of where I started my professional career is, is that, that moment in the rental car agency. So, I mean, it sounds like you just, your plan was to take a look at, you know, whatever city you were in and it was Boston to, to identify the industries with the most opportunities. Is that fair to say? I wish it was. Um, you know, I wasn't that calculated about it. I probably should have been. I, you know, I wanted to stay in Boston. I had a lot of friends from BU that were staying in Boston to, to work and I didn't want to go back home. And, uh, and so I just decided, you know, I'm going to stay in Boston. I'm going to find a job here. And so, uh, you know, maybe if I'd said, okay, this is the industry I want to be in. Maybe this city makes sense or this city makes sense. I didn't do any of that planning. Um, you know, I, I was just sort of, uh, taking things as, as they came to me sure. uh, and it worked out really well, but, um, but I wasn't very sort of calculated about it at all. So what happens at, at MGH? How long are you there? What are you working on? And, and how does that lead? <laughs> so to I took a job job working at this place called the Center for the Integration of Medicine and Innovative Technology, which is a mouthful. But basically, it was a lab that tried to connect doctors and scientists, you know, from MGH and MIT and have them come up with brilliant ideas. And it was a really cool lab. And basically, we worked on uh, medical simulators. So they're fake bodies that you practice surgery on. And so I was, you know, there were I was working in an office building, but there were body parts everywhere and fake blood. And, um, you know, the guys were that I was working with were just fabulously intelligent. I was sort of the low man on the totem pole. So I would arrange the conferences. I would order supplies. So, you know, I was ordering skeletons and fake skin and stuff like that. So it was sort of a weird first job, but it exposed me to a lot of different things. And I met some people there that were really formative and, and kind of what I decided to do next. Um, but I was there for about four years and it was great experience. And is it, I mean, I, I know you felt like you were a low man on the totem pole, but is it satisfying your, your interest in technology and innovation just by sort of being a part of that? Yeah, it definitely was, you know, and, and I, and I was able to learn a lot by osmosis and I was able to learn such some things about 
you know, even just basic office politics, stuff like that, that I just hadn't been exposed to before. And I think as I started slowly accumulating more and more information and learning more about what was going on around me, I realized that the nonprofit world just really wasn't for me. It moved too slow. It didn't seem to make sense to me why people did the things they did. It makes sense to me now, but I don't agree with it. And so, you know, we were building these uh, prototypes that were supposed to help military medics. It was mostly funded by the military. And everybody was talking about commercialization, actually getting these things to where you could sell them to the army so that, you know, the medics were mostly, you know, 18 year old guys with very little training could actually use them and level up. And uh, they just never got out of the prototype phase. Nobody took it. And I didn't really understand why. And it was really frustrating to me. And I think there are plenty of good reasons why that I understand now, but the pace at which things moved and the sort of uh, chain of approvals required to get anything done uh, really turned me off from kind of the world of nonprofit. And I think opened my eyes to sort of private enterprise and how that was, that was definitely going to be my path. So is it that time that you decide that you're going to go back to school? I know from talking with you before that you went on for a, for an MBA. It was, yeah. So it was about that time. I actually, I was in a bad car accident looking for a um, apartment in Boston. And so I uh, couldn't walk for about six weeks. And so I was in um, uh, Spalding Rehab Hospital. And uh, what I will say is try not to get in a car accident, but if you ever have the opportunity in your life to sit and just sort of reflect for a few weeks, <laughs> it really helps you get some clarity on some things. So as I was sitting that ho- in that hospital bed, I was thinking about what I wanted to do with my life, what, what my next steps were gonna be. Uh, and I came out of there with a lot of clarity and I decided business school is definitely where I was going. I didn't know that I was gonna end up at Duke, but I would sort of made that decision very firmly uh, where before I I was a little wishy-washy about it. And so, you know, that was a huge sort of pivotal point in my life where I decided to, to kind of move forward. And I'll need to ask us to move through the next phase a little bit quickly. Sure. Um, but so great experience with your MBA. And then I know you said you got into sort of music and arts yeah. for a while and, and, the, and the merger with technology. So tell us a little bit about that. So, yes, yeah, so while I was at business school, I was introduced to um, a local entrepreneur who started this company called Reverb Nation. And I did an internship there. I loved it. I worked there full time. When I started, there was sort of, you know, 10 people. Uh, when I left, there was, uh, you know, a hundred and, uh, it was a, it was a great ride. And so that company basically built software for musicians. So for bands, not for listeners. And it was, it was a wild ride. It was fun. It's where I learned how to build technology quickly. I learned modern, uh, sort of software development techniques. I learned how to manage people, how to hire people, how to fire people. I really kind of cut my teeth there. And then after about six and change years, I decided to take the leap and and um, start this company actually with my wife. And so we had talked for a long time about running a company together so that we could wrap our lives uh, around work instead of the other way around, right? And so we really made a go of it and it's grown very, um, very quickly. And now, um, you know, we've got four full-time people, six, including us, and we're, we're growing, expanding, and it's been, it's been a great ride. So was it during Reverb Nation that you first had the inclination about starting your own company or were you even thinking about about it during your MBA? 
Yeah, I was always thinking about it. So during my MBA, I, I think, you know, I was, I was kind of the weird one that was working for this small technology company. I wasn't looking to go into banking or consulting or marketing or, or any of the big sort of MBA fields. And so people kind of didn't know what to do with me, <laughs> but, um, but that was fine with me. You know, it's kind of always been my way. And so I was with a sort of a small group of people that were all into entrepreneurship and were thinking about starting companies, working for small companies, that kind of thing. And I was very fortunate to meet some, some great people and, and really fortunate with timing too, because we spoke about it before the podcast started. You know, Durham, North Carolina has exploded with the startup scene. Uh, and I, I was here, you know, 10 years ago, right when it was kind of getting, getting started. And so it's been a great ride. A ton of companies have come out of here, a couple of big acquisitions. And so the area has grown um, and I've been sort of really fortunate to grow with it. It's so impressive to me that that you found a way to combine your love of technology with your love of, of books and reading and, and written word media. You know, I think you pretty clearly st- stated, I think I read it on your LinkedIn page that the whole, the whole idea is about empowering and supporting authors. Yep. Um, so can you, can you talk a little bit about a little bit more about starting your own company and being able to look back now on those early days, what were the, the skills, what were the characteristics? I mean, obviously you're doing this in partnership with your wife, um, but what, what are the things that, uh, the, the personality traits, the characteristics, the skills that you really had to rely on in order to get this business off the ground? <laughs> so from a personality trait standpoint, I think you have to be risk tolerant. So, you know, my daughter was six months old and I had this great job and I just quit it. Right. And so a lot of people would say that's crazy. And, you know, when I look back on it myself, I think it was a little crazy, but um, it worked. And so I think risk tolerance, I think uh, you have to have also tolerance for self-doubt. There are days when you're starting something small where, you know, your friends have big jobs and you're, you know, trying to start this company and uh, you you think to yourself, is this the right thing? Right. Is this going to happen? And uh, it's also, it can be very uh, lonely. So, you know, you, don't have a whole lot of people to commiserate with. You don't have coworkers, you don't have peers. Um, and so I think, you know, you have to be able to weather all those things. And, um, so that's sort of on the personality trait side, on the skills side, I think what's really helpful is having some specialized skills, but also being sort of a generalist. So, you know, I was able to do some of the design stuff, some technology stuff. I was able to do, uh, interviews like this. I was able to hire people. And so both of us, my wife and I had strong and sort of broad, uh, skill sets. And I think that's required because, you know, one, one, one day you're trying to find a real, real estate, you know, you're trying to find a place for your people to work. Uh, and the next day you're dealing with a technical issue and the following day, maybe you're dealing with sort of a soft, like personnel issue, motivating people. Uh, and you've got to be able to sort of bounce around a lot. Uh, and it's not what your role dictates because the buck stops with you. It's anything that happens, you need to be ready to deal with. And so I think if you get frustrated doing something that's not your core competency or the thing that you consider yourself really good at entrepreneurship can be really tough because you know uh one day you're dealing with uh you know ordering the the water right and and snacks or something like that and if you feel like that's beneath you or that's not the right thing to spend your time on uh that's fine but those things need to get done um and it's up to you to figure out how to get everything done so you know you're coo but really i think what i what i'm hearing you say is you're just you know the wearer of all hats for your company you mentioned you know having to order snacks handle hr issues anything and everything what what are the specific activities uh, that make you the most happy or the most fulfilled about running your company 
Yeah. And so I think, I think what you just said about wearing all the hats is, is accurate. I think my role would probably be most more accurately a CTO um, sort of the, the technology piece is really what I, what I drive forward, but I do do a little bit of everything. So I think the things that make me the most happy is building stuff. And so, you know, that's always been the case, even since I was a little kid, right. You know, making movies, making designs, making, making things. And when you're in technology and software, you get to make stuff and it gets to sort of be exposed to a lot of people just by, you know, virtue of the internet. So, um, you know, the thing that really gets me going is building something and then launching it. And then two days later, you know, thousands of our users are using it or seeing it or interacting with it. And, um, you know, the data tells you whether it was good or bad. There's no boss to say, okay, you did a good job or you did a bad job. The data tells you, and that's what I love is sort of, you know, if profits going up, if click through rates are going up, the numbers are going up, then you're doing a good job. And there's no, there's no, um, sort of opinion of it. Right. And so, so uh, that is very humbling sometimes because, uh, you know, we all make mistakes, um, but at the same time, it's incredibly rewarding when you get it right. So, you know, I, one of the things I think is interesting about your work is media has changed so much with the advancement of technology. You've been a part of that for a long, long time. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, technology is changing the media industry. Um, so for folks who are interested in, in careers or, you know, maybe even starting their own company at the intersection of media and technology, technology. Uh, if you, if you were to, you know, have a, a come back to a class at BU, uh, whether it was entrepreneurship or, or maybe an engineering class technology, what advice do you have to share with folks who, you know, at, at 22 have aspirations of starting their own company? Yeah. So I would say a few things. One, uh, don't uh, discount personality when you're, when you're doing these things. So a lot of people are worried about, do I have the skills to do this? And if really sort of confidence and risk-taking are huge attributes that should not be undervalued, right? And so if you have those things, feel good about it, even if you're not doing well in class A or class B or whatever it is. Second is, especially in technology, the thing that's terrific about it is everything can be measured, right? So uh, when something happens, you can see a number. And so whatever quantitative classes you're taking, take more, take statistics, take it seriously, uh, take, take more of it, you know, uh, because tracking things, statistical significance, the, the numbers that are part of marketing technology these days are critical. And so everybody is looking for people with hard quantitative skills. Even if you consider yourself a, an online marketer, which some people think of marketing as kind of a soft uh, thing, it's not at all accurate, especially not in technology. So hard skills are required and uh, you can learn them. A lot of people will be like, oh, well, it's really hard. I, I don't do that. You can learn it. Um, but I would just say to anybody that's looking to get into these fields, double down on your math. It's only going to get more important. That makes a lot of sense. I know written word media manages several different online sites. Mm -hmm. uh, where can our listeners go to sort of see some of, of your sort of, uh, I guess, products for lack of a better term. But sure. So, so as a media company, our products, you can think of written word media, like you think of Turner networks, right? So Turner networks has uh, CNN, the cartoon network, Turner classic movies. These are all TV channels, but they have different audiences. Uh, written word media has different websites that help people find books, but they're all catered to a slightly different audience. 
So you can check out, uh, we have a variety of websites. I'll run through them very quickly. Um, free Booksy, which specializes in free books are absolutely free. Bargain Booksy, which specializes in books under $5. New in Books, which is um, targeted at new releases or brand new books that are going to be uh, sort of household names. Uh, Red Feather Romance, which is exclusively for romance titles. And ReadingStacks.com, which is for um, people that have subscriptions like uh, Kindle Unlimited, which is kind of like the Netflix for books. And so those are those are our websites. We manage all of them with the same technology stack on the back end. But the branding that the reader sees when you know one of you goes to visit one of those sites is different on each site. But what's happening in the background is some technology that we've developed that uh, is handling all the nuts and bolts of running them. So, uh, you know, I feel like throughout my conversations with you, I can just tell that you've got this incredible entrepreneurial uh, piece of your life. Are there other projects you've got cooking, you know, things that you hope to accomplish in the next five to 10 years? Are you just sort of focused on family and written word media for now? Uh, So there's always something, right? And so right now we actually just started, we spun off a new company called Hidden Key Publishing and Hidden Key Publishing is going to be creating books. Um, so right now, Written Word Media markets other people's books. So authors pay us to advertise their books on our websites. Hidden Key Publishing is going to be writing books. Um, so we're commissioning stories. We're working with authors to actually get books written. It's really, really exciting. It's in the very early stages. So you can think about what Netflix did with House of Cards, right? They they had this service that reached a lot of viewers and they decided to make their own content to put in front of those viewers instead of just showing other people's content. Uh, we're doing the same thing. And so Hidden Key Publishing is going to be the way that we're doing that. And that has been incredibly rewarding and very difficult uh, experience so far. We've been doing it for a few months. And uh, so for the next five years, uh, that's really what I'm, what I'm most excited about is, you know, being able to bring stories to life, being able to, you know, write books and get them to people that are going to consume our characters and look for, you know, opportunities beyond just um, books. I think if you look at the major movies right now, um, books are what's driving a lot of it. It's where a lot of these things started. Um, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, these things all started as books. And so I see books as the low cost way to test a story. And we're hoping to be innovators in that arena. Well, best of luck with that project over the next few years. And and speaking of telling stories, thank you so much for sharing yours with the BU community. We really appreciate your time, Farrell. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. Thanks again to Farrell for joining me on the podcast. It was a real pleasure hearing about the pivotal moments of his career at this interesting intersection of arts and technology. If you'd like to learn more about Farrell's company, Written Word Media, visit the website, writtenwordmedia.com. Thanks again for listening to the Proud to Be You podcast. If you like what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review Proud to Be You wherever you download your episodes. I'm Jeff Murphy, and no matter where your path takes you, be proud to be you. The Proud to Be You podcast is produced by Boston University Alumni Relations. Our theme is from Jump and APM Music. To learn more about Proud to Be You, visit bu.edu slash alumni slash podcast. 